1: you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger
0: for the ones who get it done.
1: Ah, welcome back to Hurtell. Okay, hadn't seen him in a bit, but he's a good friend of ours. Roy, your boy Roy on the Twitter. We just call him Roy because that would be weird in real life. Roy, how are you, my friend? Good to see you again. Pretty good, pretty good. It's been a good new year so far. Yeah. And it's (laughs) no shortage of lines going on, but I want to talk to you about a little energy policy because something really big happened in the last few days that got very little coverage because we got the Harry book and the madness in Congress and whatever else everybody else is talking about these days. And I think there was a football game this week. Something really important happened, though. The news came out of Europe about their energy use where it comes to Russia and where it comes to their efforts to kind of wean themselves off Russian energy. Really big, important stuff. And it just didn't get the headlines, but it really ought to have.
2: Right, yeah. So um, this week, the, uh, the United States beca- um, o- overtook Russia as the chief uh, energy supplier to Europe, um, which is huge, um, especially considering that the Russians provided, I think, a quarter of um, Europe's energy for natural gas, oil, and um, other distillates.
1: Yeah, and the important change here is the movement of LNG, liquefied natural gas. This has been the game changer. Now, this is an expensive way to move it, but it's also a very fast and efficient way to move it. Once you have that expensive infrastructure in place, that's really been the game changer here because they were their goals themselves were like 10 15% this year. It looks like they're going to hit 25% this year. On some estimates, that's game changing when it comes to the geopolitical, but also the economic. They got a little bit of a break because the European winter looks like it's going to be a little more mild than they thought it was. So that's helping. The prices are coming down a little bit. But that infrastructure, it's expensive. But once it's in place, boy, they've been able to turn this around really, really fast.
2: No, yeah, You're right. The uh, And the Norwegians have really stepped up in um, supplying their own supplies of uh, natural gas, uh, oil and other distillates through three main pipelines that go towards Germany. Um, and the LNG plants, uh, they're extremely expensive, extremely um, costly to maintain. But once you actually establish them, um, these ships that um, leave the Gulf of Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, um, can deliver massive amounts of energy to Europe. And the Germans sure need it because uh, they've shut down all their nuclear plants and they're trying to fire up old coal-fired plants to uh, stay warm. But Thank God the winter isn't too bad over in Europe.
1: Yeah, it looks like it. Roy joining us. That brings us to where I want to talk about us. We have some really good LNG facilities. Elba Island and Savannah, Freeport down in Texas, Louisiana. We should have at least a half dozen more than what we have if we would have had a little vision back about 10, 15 years ago, right? This is an argument for infrastructure and energy, not just chasing gas prices. I know you wrote about crude oil prices. We'll talk about that in a second. That's the stuff that gets the headlines. Right. Things like oil refineries, things like LNG plants, the cutting edge of this kind of technology that we've known about for a while, but we really haven't been building the way we should. Imagine what we could have been doing with Europe if we had a little bit of vision and had more East Coast or Gulf Coast LNG plants. When this came up, we really could have been doing some business here. Right. No, the the
2: last uh, the newest refinery in the United States was built in 1976. Um, Obviously, I was not alive in 1976, but. Um, the sort of refinery crunch, the refinery capacity crunch has really hit home in the last two years. Um, the United States has lost about 1.1 million barrels per day capacity in a little less than two years, uh, mostly due to the pandemic, but also due to the sort of um, government interference in the oil and gas sector. And a lot of these refineries are just, are just ordinary businesses. They need to you know, balance their books, look at the future and see where they can make some money. Uh, but unfortunately, there is a um, a really uh, the East Coast's largest refinery in Philadelphia uh, shut down due to a um, an accident that happened. Um, and the company just looked at their books and said it would be prohibitively more expensive to um, repair the plant and continue production than just to shut it down.
1: Yeah, Roy Matthews joining us. This brings us to what you were writing about, about crude oil prices. Just let's keep this on kind of a basic level. Explain it to me so even I can understand it, though. Crude oil prices affects way more than just gasoline, and those are two different things, and people sometimes mix them up. This involves a lot of things. You wrote about it: heating oil. Ke- look, we had kerosene heaters when I was younger, because uh, yep. we still had a split. We had a split use stove because they were still from back in the day. We didn't burn coal anymore, but it still had the coal burner on it, so we used kerosene heaters instead. A lot of a lot of folks, especially in the Northeast, still use kerosene, jet fuel, um, other byproducts, crude oil affects a whole lot more stuff so when we're not refining as much as we could and we haven't kept up with the refineries as much as we could this puts us susceptible to these giant swings in the crude oil prices it affects a lot of things in the economy besides just that number that hits the headlines
2: no you're absolutely right and um you know the kerosene um, kerosene's use as a source of heat um not nationally 14 percent Of Americans use kerosene as a heating source for their home. That's mostly concentrated in the Northeast, where obviously it's very, very cold. But you're right. um, When you have a a barrel of crude oil and it goes into the refinery, it can be made into all these different distillates, um, kerosene being a very highly refined, very pure um, distillate. And most folks that use kerosene live in older homes or live in mobile homes where the Um, The heating oil tank or the the kerosene tank is located outside of the home, so where it's exposed to the elements. So kerosene actually has a much lower freezing point than diesel or heating oil, which is why it's so economical for these folks to heat their homes with in really cold places.
1: Yeah, Roy Matthews joining us. You talked about this when you wrote about it in National Review, too. The cost of this isn't just the price of kerosene, which is huge now. I remember when kerosene was cheaper than gasoline way back in the day when we were using it. You know, you're talking six dollars a gallon for kerosene right now. The problem is that's not the only price we're paying places like Massachusetts. You deal with it. Maine, which you're very familiar with places where it gets really cold in the wintertime. Now, things like the omnibus bill and things like this, we're having to put massive outlays and heating assistance. This is costing millions and millions of dollars on top of the actual cost of the fuel. We're making this more expensive than it really needs to be. And I hate to loop back to where we started, but things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence. This is why that infrastructure is a big deal. This is why how we negotiate with other countries, how we do it. It all runs into we end up paying more, not only at the pump for this stuff, but in subsidies to help people afford it.
2: Right. And um, this it was it's sort of a a perfect storm of of incidents that led to this. The um, the, you'll remember the moratorium that was placed on um, drilling permits uh, back in the summer. Now, normally, most people would think that would have nothing to do with heating oil prices or kerosene prices in the winter. But during that time of the summer is when wholesalers and distributors purchase in bulk heating oil, kerosene to prepare for the winter when prices are low, when you and I aren't heating our homes in the middle of the summer, right? So because they put out that moratorium and the prices shot up, a lot of these wholesalers and retailers waited to purchase to purchase their supplies, hoping that the price would go down. And because we're coming out of this pandemic and everybody's hopping on planes now, the airline industry which also is one of the main um, consumers of kerosene. Um, Some refineries use the acronym uh, SKF for superior kerosene fuel. Um, Jet fuel and kerosene are by and large the same fuel. So now you have a massive demand for the airline industry to fuel their planes, but you also have this um, shortage where wholesalers and retailers are now having to buy kerosene even more now that they've waited and the price still hasn't gone down, so you have these shortages.
1: Yeah. Roy Matthews joining us. Let's talk about the other side of this, because that's that's the political and the economic side of it. There's also the political and environmental side of this. Here's something I don't think it's talked about enough on this. I'm I'm sensitive to people that have environmental concerns about refining oil. It's a mess. Look, I used to work and live in the Huntington, Ashland area, the Catlettsburg refinery. I drove out all the time. It is a dirty business. There's not a super clean way to do it. However, like you just said, the last refineries we built was in the 70s. Not only the green technology, but the refining technology has gone down the road 40, 50 years. We have new technology to do a better cleaner in those bridges before we get to that bright new future that always seems over the horizon. right? That's part of this that doesn't get talked about is we're not going to build a 1970s refinery. We're going to build a 2020 refinery or 2030 refinery probably with by the time you do the lead time and stuff. Should we be discussing it that way? Is like, look, technology isn't stagnant, not just in the green stuff. The way we use fossil fuels is also improving incrementally. Those two things need to bridge each other. And I don't think we talk about it correctly in that way.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And we have gotten to the point where a single barrel, 42 gallons of oil, of unrefined oil can go into a refinery and 44 gallons of different distillates can be produced. So we actually can produce more. From less, um, so you're absolutely right. The 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 notion that refining is still stuck in this like sort of 1970s very environmentally um, impactful state is is just misguided. Um, and we've seen from these price hikes that it's mostly the folks, the low income folks, the folks that are living in in mobile homes, in older homes, folks that are on um, Social Security fixed income that are really feeling the pinch from these prices.
1: Yeah, Roy Matthews, let's talk about some other low income folks. I went and looked it up. I kind of knew it, but I want to make sure. Natural gas production, okay? which is a lot cleaner than coal mining and a lot cleaner than oil refinery, although there is environmental impacts and needs to be regulated. And we all understand that. Look, I'm sensitive to this stuff. I'm from West Virginia. I've seen firsthand what strip mining does. I've seen what clear-cut logging does. There's a big patch of where I hunted growing up right beside where I grew up, where they stripped it for development and found out they couldn't drill down far enough to put in septic. So it's set barren for 20 years. And it ticks me off every time I go to my mom and dad's house. I hate that part of it. However, we can reasonably use these resources. Look at this list of natural gas production. I'm talking about low-income Biggest natural gas field in America is Marcellus Shade. That's Pennsylvania, West Virginia, the heart of Appalachian. You don't think they could use some economic developments? The next three, Louisiana and Texas. Fayetteville Shell's number five. That's Arkansas. I lived in Arkansas. I can tell you firsthand those folks could use some economic development, right? New Mexico and Colorado, the San Juan Basin, the Pinedale gas field in Wyoming, Wattenberg gas field in Colorado rounds out the top 10. Texas has four of these in the top 10. These are areas of the country that have a lot of land. There's a lot of room out there. We should be able to find a balance between the environmental concerns, which are valid, and the economics concerns. And these are all areas of the country that could probably use the economic development at the same time when you look at the list and where it's actually at.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And the folks, uh, the counter argument to this, folks will point to these um, smaller facilities that also refine different distillates um, that have been built in the last 10, 15 years. Well, those facilities are in the 10,000 barrels per day range. Most of them go up to mainly 20,000 barrels per day. For these refineries that we need, we need refineries that are capable of producing hundreds of thousands of barrels a day. Um, And when we have this shrink, this this refinery shrinkage, um, that also impacts um, folks' ability to purchase the kerosene. Most wholesalers and retailers, I don't know if you've ever um, purchased um, heating oil or kerosene for your home, but most of these wholesalers and retailers, in order to make money, in order to keep their businesses afloat, they require a minimum uh, amount of minimum sale, so to speak. Um, and most of the minimum sale is around 100 gallons. And if kerosene is at six dollars a gallon, that's the low end. Um, you're paying six hundred dollars for 100 gallons of kerosene. And you know, I talked to some older folks in in Maine when I was still living there. Um, for folks that are living on a fixed income in their 70s, most of them are living on 1,300 bucks a month. That's more than half of your monthly income, and you still gotta put gas in your car, go see your grandkids, get groceries, get all these all these supplies. So it it really starts to hurt the folks that um, really can't afford um, most of these wild price spikes.
1: Yeah, Roy Matthews. The other part of that, too, is they're guessing on the price fluctuations so you can make or break your half a year's budget based on whether you guess right or guess wrong. on when you buy a bulk order like that, that's a lot of people's reality, especially people on a fixed income. That's an excellent point. Roy Matthews, let's let's bring this back around because um, we all talk about energy independence in America. I understand. Yes, that's a thing, but it's also a little bit of a misnomer because. It's not that we're going to shut ourselves off from the world energy independence and we're just going to be this bubble. I think sometimes people think that that's not what it is, It's that we're going to create more than what we send out. And we're going to have enough to send out to be economically viable to the rest of the world like we just saw in Europe. Do we need to change our terminology and update it just a little bit here? Because. Look, it's a geopolitical issue. It's a world peace and war issue with Russia now. It's like, we should be able to export gas to de- to decrease the conflict in Europe because that's a lot of how Russia gets its money. Stuff like that. The old terminology doesn't seem like it perfectly fits that anymore. Should we change how we talk about this a little bit? I, I think we should. Most people, when they hear energy independence, they
2: think of us pulling up the drawbridge, drawbridge so to speak, and sort of hoarding all our energy for ourselves. That's not really the case and that's not actually one of the main benefits of energy independence energy independence just means we export more energy than we import we could we sell more than we actually need so we can fulfill our heating and energy needs here at home but like you said we can also sell and become a um, and become a supplier to these countries that have had to purchase energy from from the Chinese from the Russians um, and we all know as we all know, the R- russian oil and gas and chinese oil and gas comes with strings attacks they are going to want something in return whereas american oil and gas companies and american companies in general are just trying to make money and so energy independence i think needs to be framed more in terms of that geopolitical issue but also as a way to sort of provide for the folks at home too when we when most folks hear about import exports they just think we're um we're sort of supplying the needs of the rest of the world. If we focus more on how we can provide for folks at home while also bringing in that extra income from energy sales abroad, I think that would go over much better with folks that are really struggling right now just to heat their homes.
1: Yeah. Roy Matthews. One last thing. Let's bring this to a practical level. I always like to bring it down to like how we talk on our social media and talk to each other. The price of a crude oil barrel doesn't really make sense to people. Right. Chasing the gas price on the billboard at the gas station. That's a lagging indicator that has a lot of complex things to go into it other than, you know, like a Memorial Day or something like that. That confuses people. What's an actual number or headline or indicator people should be watching when it comes to energy, when it comes to things like natural gas and crude oil prices, something practical they can watch because this stuff fluctuates so much. What's one thing they should pay attention to in the headlines to go, okay, that's something I'm, I need to key on and pay attention to, do you think? Uh, so I would watch the travel. I would
2: watch focus on travel demand. I would also focus on the transportation sector because we all need these fuels to transport our products. There's The transportation sector is going to take a lot of the diesel fuel, a lot of the gas, um, and just like I mentioned, the airline industry is going to take a lot of kerosene. Focus on the trends in the transportation sector. Also focus on um, refinery capacity. It doesn't matter if we can rip all this oil and gas out of the ground if we can't produce it, if or excuse me, if we can't refine it efficiently, um, you know, Crude oil isn't going to be put into your car. It needs to be refined. And the sort of bottleneck that we've created where we've lost refinery capacity, but oil and gas production has shot up, has created this sort of choke point in our supply chain. Um, So I would really focus on that if you really want to know what's coming down um, the pipe, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, But yeah, you'll just like you mentioned, you know, the sort of gas prices are sort of the end result of all these different competing sectors uh, and factors.
1: Yeah. Roy Matthews. Good stuff as always, buddy. Let folks know where they can keep up with you. You got a lot of things moving and shaking right in the moment. You're kind of between things, but let folks know how they can keep up with you till we get you back on her. again, my friend.
2: Right. So, um, like you said, you can, uh, follow me on Twitter. That's, at your boy underscore Roy, uh, um, put most of my articles up there and that's really the easiest place you can, uh, you can find me and all my, uh, all my South Carolina Gamecock football talk too.
1: <laughs> uh, we'll tolerate that. Cause you're a friend. Uh, <laughs> Roy Matthews, always good talking. My friend, enjoy the new place you just moved into. And we'll talk again real soon, my friend. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile
0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifeemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifeemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor... I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I am the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church and Maine podcast at the website org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you
1: folks you've heard of ethan brown on the hurt tell show a couple of different times but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom head over to his podcast the sweaty penguin sweaty penguin is a late night comedy style climate podcast working to add nuance critical thinking humor and hope to the climate conversation. I got over a hundred episodes already breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know that's a comedy thing. So just go with it. But each time exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. If you feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse. This is the podcast for you. Find the sweaty penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.